What happens when you combine the most innovative, eccentric and charismatic leaders, disruptors and founders from tech with the pedigree and history of one of the most established institutions within the City of London? The Searching for Mana podcast will be produced in partnership with the London Stock Exchange. I'm Lloyd Wahead, the host of Searching for Mana. We're going to be interviewing some of the leaders, influencers and disruptors in the tech space, where I'm going to be trying to dig in and find out what's their mana, their superpower, their magic. Hey Daniel, welcome on to Searching for Mana. Hey Lloyd, thank you for having me. Pleasure to have you on the show. Fuller introduction, Daniel Seppert, who is the VP and Regional Managing Director of Amia with Coinbase as of about a year ago. Daniel, if you could be so kind just to set the scene for what that role encompasses at Coinbase, please. Absolutely, pleasure. And you're right, I joined about a year ago. It's like getting up close to a year and I will always remember it because it was two weeks before FTX collapsed and and it was two weeks into the job and I get lots of concerned phone calls and messages from friends were asking me, did you know what you were getting yourself into? And I I think obviously the answer was yes, I I did know what I was getting myself into. And I'm actually very excited and still very excited about what it is. The role is really looking after the business for Coinbase in the region. And that's a broad region, obviously, some of the most important markets for Coinbase after the United States. Um, looking after the business, as you can imagine, that has uh, multiple facets that, that goes from thinking about strategy, that goes to working with the teams, making sure the right, we have the right product and brought that to the consumers. And then obviously it also goes to meeting interesting people like yourselves. I'm sure many more interesting people. Well, what an interesting time that was, as you say. I know that any month in the last two years, it would have been interesting because markets and I think many spaces, but particularly this space has been interesting. But that is right at probably one of the biggest events over the last few years. I I was with my family this weekend and just trying to do the test of what companies people know because we're in a bubble. And if I say A16Z, which is to me, who wouldn't know who A16Z are? They're like, we don't know who that is. Who, who is that? So clearly not a family of venture capital fans, the Warheads. I said, Coinbase? And they're oh, of course, yeah, absolutely no Coinbase. Seen Brian's documentary. And then if you say after that, who do you know? People know Sam Bankman-Fried. That's literally like <laughs> the, the situation. So it's tell me how it's been, Daniel, to this point, because you could say that was a bad moment. And I think it probably was. But in a way, for me, the last year, and as a business that's you know in fintech and the blockchain space, it's obviously been very challenging because everybody at that point just shuts shop in a way and takes stock and so on. But I, I feel like through it, Coinbase has probably put itself into position as definitely at the front, if not the company that is talking to the regulators, doing all the right type of things, has a huge platform. And I feel also you couldn't believe two years ago how these people had, after two years, become so wealthy and It felt a bit spammy. It felt a gold rush. And I think that maybe it's flushed out a lot of those companies and characters. So I'm feeling bullish that when we look back, that's been a really good thing. 
but nonetheless it's been such a challenging year how about you how's it been on that point yeah a very interesting point i very much uh, agree with your analysis or the way you laid it out I, i think it has been an incredibly challenging year already the past year so 22 and, and this year 23 I would say it's really, it's almost like an era came to the end, right? If you think about the 2010 to 2020 period, if that's broad brush, but if you take that time time frame, it was kind of money was cheap, funding was easy to get, lots of really exciting new ideas, people starting new things. I remember that around the sort of 2015 time, technology moved into financial services. So then we start what we started to call fintech that was like really born at the time. Lots of exciting developments in London. And from then on, it was always just growing. And then I, I think with the, with the war in Ukraine and then the change in the interest rates, all of a sudden the environment looks very different, right? And everybody has to reorient and turn around and rethink, not, not only rethink their strategy, but perhaps for a little bit unusually for startups also to think about the bottom line. And that, as, as, as we all know, right, that led to a lot of, a lot of changes in companies, a lot of changes in, in how we run startups and fintechs nowadays. Coinbase, to, in, in that sense, I was going to say, obviously, we had to make our adaptations and our changes as well, right? And we did. And I think to some extent, the way you called it and that you said we're a, sort of we're a household name, very well known, and, and that you said that we're one of the leaders nowadays, it's certainly the, this sort of change in environment probably played to one of the strengths of Coinbase with this incredibly fast execution. This kind of, and it can be quite a painful process, right? When you have to change your mental model and you have to flick a switch and think from like 100% growth to like more, hey, profitability and, and how, do I run the, how do I run the business financially sustainably for the long term? That's quite a big thing to do um, when you think about it. And that was something that I per- certainly perceived and I was very proud of Coinbase. I certainly perceived Coinbase doing that very quickly, realizing how a new situation, a new environment has come in and then reacting accordingly and making all the right choices. Daniel, the, the same uh, kind of visualization of me with my family around the table on, apart from me, venture capital fans, but did know who Coinbase are. Now, that's because I think the leader in the organization is so prominent at the Super Bowl and it's just a big name, documentaries. But do they really know why you would use it is the question. I didn't want to, you know, sit there and interview them. They weren't on the show at that point. But I I, I assume if I'd ask, they probably wouldn't still at this point really have a user case for why they would use. And I'm not just saying Coinbase, but really the technology at all. And so both our backgrounds started, I think, being passionate. Daniel, just in brief, guys, has a background at the great strat firms and big banks, and then really went into a large fintech. And that's really where I started seeing really phenomenal innovation. And for me, a lot of it was thinking about the consumer. And we had that neo bank here, and then obviously blockchain came. But like the user case, apart from people who want to trade on exchanges in the space, hasn't really pulled through just yet, I don't think. And so I'd like you to try to talk to, because for me, it's just all financial technology. I, I, hopefully, at some point, there won't even be this kind of separation between fintech or blockchain. Um, I'd like you to talk to, for a consumer, for the Warhead family, 
really where you hope and start to see Coinbase and maybe others, but Coinbase in particular, coming through and being used as an application for them? What can they get excited about? Yeah, excellent question, Lloyd. And I think the I would almost say this is a discussion that has been going on in the crypto industry or the blockchain industry. For, it's, it's not only the last month or the last quarter, right? I think that has been a discussion that has been going on for a very long time. And it's, and it's certainly become more prominent in the last year. Um, I think with some of the developments that we saw, people started to say, okay, it's all nice uh, that we have the investing use case and that seems to work really well, yeah. um, technology-wise for sure. What are the, the other long-term use cases, as, as they are often called, that, as you said, <laughs> nicely your families could understand or, or get excited about or, or really use in practice? And I think maybe one thing that's worthwhile calling out is that blockchain, this technology and this whole phenomenon has moved way beyond sort of specialized firms and what you call the fintech bubble. We have established names, established companies like PayPal, like Nike, like JP Morgan, they're all working with blockchain technology and already offering at market solutions that are out there at the moment and, and working. So I think that's one thing that's always important to keep in mind that already established companies are working with this. And if I pick one that very recently we were quite happy and quite proud about, because we being Coinbase here, we helped uh, bring to the market is a collaboration with Marks and Spencer's brand, Nobody's Child and Fabicus, whereby with new regulation that came about that is ESG focused, consumers can now go into any Marks and Spencer store or Nobody's Child store and they can scan little tags or little QR codes that are attached to the garments that they can see. And then by scanning the code, they can get all the provenance and all the background information on the garment, how it was, how it, where and how it was manufactured and what's kind of footprint it's leaving. And, and what's interesting about that, and which, which is interesting where now the blockchain technology comes in, they can actually also download digital twins of these garments, so as NFTs. And that establishes, again, now for the company, that establishes a new touch point, a new CRM touch point with the consumer, because they can now get into contact with the consumer and speak about the product or do any sort of interactions that they want to build around the product. They can do that. Um, and, and so it's win. Yeah, that's fantastic. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell my mom about this, Angela, because she loves Marks and Spencers. So she's, and she'd also like what you've just mentioned. I would as well. Looking into where your garments have come from is a prudent thing to do in this day, day and age with fast fashion. Nonetheless, you're a parent, you can't go and shop in some cashmere shop for everything and MS is a fantastic place so i'll i don't know if that how many stores that's in but if we follow up and if you give me just like a a link or something so i can uh, just get familiar with this and I'll, I'll go with angela to a store and we'll do this and i think you're right i think that's it's not paypal okay this has suddenly brought a huge demographic in and that's a very useful thing but this is phenomenal and i could imagine how once this is seen that would be such a brilliant thing in so many other capacities as well so i love that that could be the start of all the things we got really excited about over a few years like in my world the future of work the provenance of someone's career for instance 
it's an obvious thing to happen at some point. It just hasn't been adopted. You have a QR code instead of your CV, and it was actually referenced where you'd been. Several years ago, people are like, oh, this is obvious. You think of so many things like insurance, your driving history. This is when then that big retail consumer side comes in. I love it. Also wanted to, just in this first section, understand the scale of that opportunity, Daniel. The region that you talked about is a really exciting one. Try and give us some metrics for the responsibility that you have. And by that, how many people are in this region that you're directing and so on. Yeah, and I was gonna, I, I was gonna actually use another number there. That, in in maybe to connect with what we just were discussing about blockchain in general, I think when we think about blockchain technology, Web three, probably possibly for UK companies, a whole ten billion pounds in additional revenue is up for grabs over the next coming of years. I, th I think that's as big and as sizable as Web3 is going to be. Now, if we turn more to Coinbase and we turn more to the present day, yeah, you will know or people will perhaps have seen from the various reports that we publish. We've been in the region for a long time, right? It was after our founding in the United States, it was the first stepping stone outside of the United States com coming to UK Europe. And by now we are multiple hundred people in the region. We have offices in various places in the region. London, of course, being one of the first and foremost of them. But we also have offices in the European Union and we are actually... I'm sitting here right now. As we speak, I'm sitting in Berlin. Yeah, so it's really, really exciting to to have that opportunity. Brian was, so Brian, the founder of Coinbase, somebody who, and I don't know how long ago, I, probably just before you joined, I think he's regarded as the individual who was very strong on culture at a point where we'd really been through, and these things happen at the top of markets, and I don't want this to be controversial at all. Every company has its opinion on how to run culture is a very important point. But that felt like that had got slightly lost because of this whole black swan situation where, you know, all these companies had so much cash and were competing in the war for talent. And really the soft benefits had become part of the reason that people would go there or how companies would try to attract great talent. And you had this middle of companies that felt relatively bloated. And what started to happen, it, it certainly in, in many thriver or innovative tech businesses, was the demands on companies to do everything for the organization. And you got these quite toxic environments. And a lot of this is labeled under some woke culture that was created. I don't want to politically debate this with you, but what I will say is certainly Brian came out at that point and said, look, I can be more proud of the company and the opportunity and obviously want the team to be wonderfully set up to be able to achieve their goals and our goals. However, we're not supposed to be doing absolutely everything. We're not supposed to be politically campaigning for things outside of what our focus is. And I think he... I think he did a great thing. And I think that if you now look at a lot of companies and leaders, they've been able to, from that moment, for somebody taking that strong stance, say, yeah, absolutely. Look, if I'm a payments business, 
that you're not going to find anyone who's more passionate about payments. And why would any leader not want their organization to have an incredibly healthy culture to be able to hit that North Star? But that doesn't mean that we're on all of these sides. And I say all of that preamble just so that anyone in the audience who didn't know that can, can understand the context then of what hopefully we discuss here. You've come in and I think Jim Mustajin been just after that. And what an opportunity and responsibility for you, because there is this American and global opportunity and culture, but you have this fantastic chance to define your region's culture within that. And so we're always talking to leaders about how to do that and how in sync you have to be, but how sometimes there's tapestries in Europe where there needs to be nuances. So I'd love you, Daniel, to talk to the journey, not of user case, but of how you, as the leader of this region with hundreds of people, have come in and built within that culture, but in your own style. Interesting. Yeah, no, it's good you recap that. And I think it's one of the, it's one of the, actually, we hear this time and again in when we're speaking to candidates and when we're interviewing people, that this company is incredibly mission focused and and it's a good thing. And, and it's a thing that often people, obviously, if you interview for a job at Coinbase, you will like, hopefully you will like the mission. But it's something that, you know, that we hear always again from people that they say they're very attracted to a company that is so mission focused. And I think that is one of the things that Coinbase has gotten right. I think it's one of the things that are really good because it unites everybody behind a common purpose. And it almost, and I think everybody here will always agree that, you know, all the other things are also important to talk about and it's important to get right. But first and foremost, it's important to focus on the mission and work on the mission. And, and it's very refreshing to be in a company like this that is so focused uh, on one single piece. When it comes now to, because you were saying, hey, Europe and, and what kind of culture do you have and uh, what, what, which one are you building? I think actually in, interesting, I, I don't think any one of us thinks about building a different culture or a subculture here in Europe. But I think it's a lot, how can you make sure the Coinbase values that we have and the mission and the cultures, that they are continuously top of mind for everybody and that they are continuously lived in all across our offices. And we switched, I think it was during the pandemic, right? Like many companies, we switched from a sort of a very office focus to a remote first culture, meaning people don't necessarily, they're not every day in the office and they maybe they live somewhere else, et cetera, et cetera. And those environments, I think, they may, and, and a lot of people will know this, right? Like those environments make it even more important to focus on culture and to bring everybody together from time and time, make sure everybody has the same understanding of how we work and how we want to work. And one thing that we're doing, and we do this as, this is not a European specific thing, right? But it's, it's one thing that we do as a company overall. Like every two weeks, we just pick one of our cultural tenants in the town hall and we just talk through it. And I think that's one way to keep this really like top of mind for everybody. If every two weeks, it doesn't have to be the full 10, right? But you just pick one of them and you talk and you give some examples of something that, that was observed, something that went well, some kind of good example of some, how somebody put that in practice. And that really ensures that, that we all stay aligned to that. Yeah, that's great. We're remote first as a company at Mana as well. I had the whole kind of pimped out industrial hipster offices back in the day. And you learn how to gel with everybody and whiteboard and all of the, all the ideation things I do believe are super fun in person, 
But nonetheless, the opportunity to have hired the talent now who are in different territories, I think ends up being so good for, if we just even look at the UK or look at France or look at Germany, a wonderful opportunity for distributed talent to have a, a great a great opportunity. So there's, there's pros, there's cons. Cities sometimes can miss out. Certainly if you go back a year ago, everywhere wasn't busy. But it certainly feels to me that a lot of leaders now are creating the right type of environment where it's hybrid. And in my own team, you feel certain people really wanting to come together and they get their energy from that. Maybe they're, they're at that phase in their career or that's just the way they are. And you certainly have other people who are very happy to pure play, be remote, or that's the situation that only suits them. And so we try and do, and we're nowhere near as good as we need to be, but we try to start doing some of these things to make sure that culture's as, I call it, light as possible. Because I feel like remote culture can be quite, you know, manufactured and forced on you. And that's because we're not as good at it yet. It's not as easy to smile at somebody whilst talking about a deadline. As an example, right, it's really challenging. So this is good. I like this one. So every two weeks, talk about one of the one of the kind of core values. I'd love to know if there's any other tips you've got for me or anyone in the audience in a remote culture. And then also whether you want to now or at the end, if you could just tell us just a little bit about one of those sessions and what the value was and how that works so that we can visualize it. Yeah, and I, I don't know if it's tips or none of it will be super surprising to anybody listening. But I, I think one, one thing that we introduced, because for a while we were like very remote first, let's say like this, right? And I think but you realize after a while, I think you, you brought this up, right? When you were saying huddling around whiteboards and this is so certainly very good for ideation. And, and I think it's just also good, especially if you join a company that's already remote first, it can be difficult to get the hang of it and get into it and make the connections that... Otherwise, it would have come very natural if, if it was still in a sort of 100% office environment. And so maybe on a personal note, I'm, I actually quite think that a sort of hybrid mix between the two is a good thing. So meaning like you're remote first, but you also create possibilities for everybody to come together from now and then. Yeah. And the, the way, one thing that we've done is we have uh, free lunch Wednesdays. So meaning, and that's not a, we're not forcing anybody to go into the office, right? But if you want to come to the office, there's free lunch and, and people take, they take advantage of it and they come in. Um, and we have, for example, in Germany, our team, they're very dispersed, um, which by the way, has been a great, it, it's allowed us to hire amazing talent in Germany, but it also makes it has some challenges, right? Because you've got a couple of people in Frankfurt, a couple of people in Munich, a couple of people in Stuttgart, etc. And so now what we're doing here is, we're bringing every now and then we're bringing them together for combined work slash team events. It'll be the part what you just called about huddling around the whiteboard and getting a bit of work done and things that are better or easier discussed in person. But then also some social activities around it to make sure for the team development to look after that and make sure that sort of everybody's 100% integrated there. And that then means people will often will come to Berlin, will often will pick Berlin as the location, but it doesn't have to be. And then we'll all come together for one or a couple of days. And after that, people go back to their individual remote locations. Yeah, perfect. I think that we've got a really good optics on the situation and what you're up to right now. So let's now um, go back and try and ultimately understand you, Daniel, and your mana. And I think that's the, the, just the point before the last one. 
is actually a really good point on why I, I hope it's really interesting for everyone because I think that's right. And clearly Coinbase has got this nailed on. When you're working at a company, you want to join one where you desperately care about the mission, first and foremost, right? What even is your purpose? Like, why are you doing something? And you want to have, ideally over your career, relatively long-term perspective on you know, something that's bigger than you. And so coming together in a culture with other individuals to make it happen is uh, such a wonderful thing. On the other side, there's also yourself and what are your innate personality traits? And a culture is fantastic when a bunch of these different personality traits come together and unite on a mission. I think it's as simple as that. And I think that's what got lost. And I think that it sounds like you guys have got this really sorted. That's what we're also in the group trying to make really clear is that's not the company's fault. If their culture is clearly defined, this is what it is. What your job is when you're looking for your next mission is to make sure that you really understand it. You're really desperately passionate about it. And then what we're going to help you with, is there a sync on your personality and values to that organization? If there's not, find somewhere else. This is not going to be a good opportunity. And not enough is done on that front end. Some companies are good at screening for that and others are terrible. And this is where just, and by the way, it's not easy. This is where so many people have depressing careers because they're just in the wrong place. And when you find the right place, there's nothing better. You know, get up every morning with a spring in your step. And that's really our mission is trying to, on that mana side, the, the mission, that's the company's responsibility the skill set somebody's cv this is rudimentary of course that should fit but this side is the absolute crucial one so let's try and work out uh, what your minor is so to start with if you could be so kind just to take us back as far as you're happy to and set the the origin story of daniel so that we can understand the background please <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to go very far back. <laughs> no, I think because when you're asking the question, what makes you tick or what makes you get up in the morning? I think for me, it's always is exploring new possibilities or learning new things or creating new opportunities. And if I pick that middle one, I think it was already in you know, as a, as a child or even in, in school, right? I was just reading all the time and trying to understand more things. And like almost every subject was interesting and just always trying to understand more things and learn more things and, and see what could be created from that. And I think that sort of then also informed a lot my choices. So my job choices, really, as you mentioned out, right? I was starting off after university with a big consulting firm. And consulting is a bit like that, right? Like you do a three months or six months project. If you look at it on my CV, it'll be like a very long time spent at the same firm. But at, at the end, consulting is a bit like three months, six months, you work on this project, then you work on another project. It, you can change between industries. You can change even if you stick within the same industry. There's so many functions that you can work through. And it's all incredibly interesting. And I think after a while, I realized that 
yeah, this was all like very interesting, but it didn't cr really create, and, and all my consulting ex-colleagues are going to forgive me. It doesn't really create anything new, right? So you want to, and, and that was the moment when I then classical shift that a lot of people do that after consulting, they go into industry. And for me, it was very clearly financial services, right? That was the, the most interesting thing. And by far the industry that I had worked the most and the longest on. And, and then almost a little bit progressively stepped from more and more traditional financial services to more and more startup-y, scale-up-y, fintech kind of things, situations, because there certainly the potential to create something new and to try out new things was the largest. And, and, the, and, and, and I would almost say Coinbase is the culmination of that. It's certainly the, the most interesting environment I've ever been in, because as you said, and, and particularly certainly the last year, right, the amount of changes, and, and it's both external and internal really in this industry, right? Because you have so many things almost like on a weekly basis, something externally is happening, something big. And then also internally, right, so many innovations going on. And it's our chief legal officer, Paul Graywall, always used to say, there's so many things you could lose yourself in Coinbase. There's like too many interesting things, right? Like you, you could just go down any number of roads or alleys that you want to. And it's certainly, it's been an incredibly ride, an incredible ride so far. Yeah. So like where you sit now, it's, it's so easy, isn't it, to look back and say it was all so calculated. I'm sure you wouldn't, but you've got such a brilliant blend now with experience to do anything. But I'm sure for incredibly long time Coinbase presents <laughs> a fantastically large platform and opportunity. I want to know whilst that's happening, because it sounds like a classic kind of fantastic career path, strategic, what's happening with your, what we would call drivers? Because almost each move there has a higher level of risk in it for a larger outcome. If you think about it, it's not obvious once you'd gone into industry one of the large banks to then go into what would be classed as emerging technologies and innovation. And of course, with that, there's career risk because you can go somewhere and not get its funding or you could lose your job or you might not like the opportunity. So I feel the consulting to industry is uh, a natural path. But then the move from the bank to fintech wasn't. What was happening with you personally to think about that higher risk could you set some goals and you mentioned the phrase i wanted to build something where's that come from you know what <laughs> I, I was actually <laughs> the, the way i was thinking about it was i almost began to see it as more of a risk to remain in a traditional bank than to be in a fintech Again, nowadays, we with the new interest rate environment and everything, right? And with hindsight, you know, you always, of course, think about these things differently. And we might look at it and think that was naive. I don't know. But at the time, that, that was the thinking that started to take shape in my mind, that it was almost like over the long term, more risky to remain in an environment that was perhaps less innovating and almost a better bet to be in an environment which was more innovating because over the long run, this would win. Yeah, fascinating. So that was another great risk calculation. Now, I don't know how that's panned out. You chose the right places to go, that's for sure. Two really great environments. But you could have gone to many places that are in business anymore. But then you could have also stayed in trad finance and some pretty big names are not in business also <laughs> i just think it's been a very tough period of time since you've done that but uh, yeah i think with a horizon of from here for the next 20 years 
then there was no doubt that was the right move to make. If somebody was thinking over the next three or five, then it could have been some... But yeah, and, and I might add it. to this, and for anybody listening to this, I, I might add to this, it's also like always like constantly listen into yourself and think about what you enjoy the most and what you find the most attractive, right? Because it's just the most fun. You get up in the morning and the way you think about work is almost like not work, right? And, and then you're going to be putting in the hours. And when you put in the hours, it's, it usually makes you more successful. <laughs> like there's, of course, there's no correlation, but it, at least it's a good precondition. So Daniel, that makes me ponder the strategic thought process of somebody right now who would find themselves in a similar situation, but where the landscape has clearly progressed to it being much more obvious to go and join uh, financial technology organization. You just have to look at the S&P 500 to see the biggest stocks are these days. You can look at where the greatest talent has gone and you, you can just feel that's a path to go and get involved in. But it's not as obvious as it might have been to go join the strap firm or the big branded bank because there's more of them by the nature of it. What do you see, given your vantage right now? And I know it's an impossible question, but I'll ask it anyway. What do you see the type of skill sets, if we think of a career, where somebody might go that is a really brilliant place to, whether it's the forevermore job, but to go and get involved, if they want to come and work at somewhere like Coinbase, super bright, motivated individual, unites with the mission. What are the big trend skill sets right now you encourage people to go and skill up in? Yeah, brilliant question. Obviously, I'm, I'm going to give you a lawyer-like answer. It obviously depends on which track you want to go into because if you're going to go into engineering, I'm going to give you a very different answer than if you say, I want to work in the legal team or I want to work in the marketing team. That's always going to be like very clearly very different answers. I've always felt that almost like this sort of, like the entry way or path that I took was like going into consulting is like one of two things, right? If either you want to, you, you almost like deliberately want to train for something, maybe we call it general management, or maybe which was more my case, if you don't know where you want to end up, then that's a great entry point, right? I think that, that is way, the way I think about consulting. So if, if you conversely, and I'm, I'm going to give you the example of um, the, the brother of my wife, he's far younger uh, than I am. And so he's at a very different stage in his career. And kind of, I, I think the advice, and, and he's trained as an engineer, yeah? And like the, the advice that I would give him, look, if you know where you want to go and if, if you know where you want to end up, do it right immediately. There's no point in, let's say, spending years in consulting or whatever. If you already know that you want to build, I don't know, artificial intelligence systems as an engineer, then do it, right? Do it right away because it's going to be the best exposure that you can possibly have. Um, and, and then I think which kind of companies, et cetera, you would want to choose that depends on so many personal things, right? Like, where do you live? Do you prefer the sort of safety almost and the structured processes of a large corporation? Or do you enjoy more the sort of, you can test and try anything that you want and it gives you a lot of freedom and degrees of uh, possibilities in, in a much smaller company. So I, I, I think then I that's think, a very um, personal thing. Of, of of course, it's it's an impossible question. But let me help then a little bit with the segmentation that we talk to. So I think your brother-in-law in any era is wise to be in computer science, engineering, and that's a category that let's just say we're not talking to. Let's use this category. 15-ish years ago or so, we saw that 
somebody who might not have would go into a hedge fund and be a quant. And if we say 10 years ago, we saw somebody who might not have, who even could have had an interest in university like psychology, where there were statistics, go into consumer analytics because you had this emergence of big data. And so there's a, certainly it's a, the headhunter in me, and this is not fads, this is trying to pick the next five-year trends where a degree could go anywhere. So you're an engineer, you're an engineer, that's brilliant. That Poor engineers, we're not going to tell them what to do, but they're going to be okay. And then you've got, as you say, general management. So that is really a great point from you, which is that's where consulting is obviously fantastic because of the myriad of opportunities and the strategy that you're involved in. So that's useful to hear. But let's just think of that catchment of, let's call it the middle 50%, where the degrees are just across the fray. This is incredibly bright people. The trend to come into somewhere like a Coinbase right now, you mentioned machine learning. Artificial intelligence right now, it's the, the biggest trend. There's just no doubt about that. Now, what you can't necessarily do with the history degree is go and become a machine learning programmer, unless you want to completely correct course, right, and go learn language models and so on and so forth. There's people coming through to do that. But what could you do to make sure that then you're on this biggest trend of our time, certainly for the next five years with that general skill set? And what is it then that you do? Coinbase, you've got product roles, you've got business development roles, you've got marketing roles. This is obvious, that will never change. Do you understand what I'm trying to kind of screen from you here? Yeah, and I would give you, I, I, actually, I think you already gave the answer yourself. <laughs> you know, I, 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 would, I would exactly do that. I would say, hey, if I believe that the biggest trend is generative artificial intelligence at the moment, then definitely let's go there. And yeah, you can pick a smaller, very specialized firm. You say, okay, I will, by all means of it, I will try to join OpenAI or whatever. Yeah. But there's also possibilities you could just as easily say, Amazon works a lot with generative artificial intelligence, right? Like when they're optimizing their warehouses and so forth. And, and tons of other companies do, right? There's also all the big names like Google, Apple, and so forth. And then moving on to what you said, what you called the middle 50%. I, I would not use that phrase, but for the purposes, you just said it. Like those companies, they, I, I think, and I actually believe this will always continue, right? Like even 20 years past when you said, okay, somebody would have been in data science or whatever. Um, all these companies always had a, a legal function, a finance function, a marketing function. And even nowadays, companies have a legal function, a finance function, et cetera. And it will probably continue in 10 or 20 years to be like that, right? And so I would then pick, you pick the trend and then what you like or what you're good at and, and see how you can fit into that company. Yeah. I want to be clear about my language there to the audience. <laughs> I believe this is the biggest issue that exists in the blockchain space, actually working with foundations. And the last several years, foundations or protocols or big players have been pretty good at banging the drum for hackathons and bringing in builders. And if you go to most emerging projects, which most projects are, they would be in the equivalent of typical venture capital space pre-Series A most of the time. It's, it's engineers and technical makeup. So it's that garage phase of the evolution of a space. And what's desperately needed is, the, so I need to change this phrasing, not the middle 50%, but it's like 
that economic side it's what you need it's that if one founder is the cto the other founder is the product or executor the strategist and we talking to so many people who are early on in their career and want to be in the space but what do they do and there's just not been enough i think so this is one of our missions is to try and make it more clear of what's a good career path to go and take and of course part of that's on you for me it needs to get to the point where someone at central st martins a brilliant creative university as an example who has done an innovation management course for instance would think a brilliant place for me to go is to coinbase because i'm actually incredibly well networked and savvy with the nft space and we can see just how much nfts is building out into the thesis of coinbase's like go to market strategy but it's really not you would sit there and think that's not for me. I'll go to a creative agency or I'll do what people from Central St. Martins have always done. I think it's the biggest problem. I think the ma- one of the biggest problems, <laughs> there's many, uh, which are all fun obstacles. So that middle 50%, I need to rephrase it to, to something else because it sounds condescending. I don't mean it like that. What I mean is, as you said as well, of course, there's the finance function. Of course, there's the engineering function. These are crucial. There's improvements to make there. But it's really... How do you bring all of this amazing talent in? And I think when we get that talent in, then naturally everything is just going to become better. And I don't think career paths are obvious. So I want to try and maybe we can like, um, yeah, maybe, after this. Yeah. how could we do some work together on making that clearer to the market? Yeah, yeah, yeah. One way I've always thought about this is because you were just picking the, let's say the finance team and, and the HR team and the legal team. I think one way I've always been thinking about this, if you're coming out of university, you probably want to work in an industry where your function is almost the main pillar. So if finance, then probably it's smart to work in a bank for a while, Mm -hmm. right? Because this is where everything is centered around finance. If you're in HR, then maybe, I don't know, a headhunting firm or something like this is maybe the best place to start. If you're in legal, then maybe a law firm is a great place to start, right? Because like the entire thinking revolves around that for the first two or three years of your career. And then, and then you can branch out. Yeah, it's a great way to think about. So what's at the pillar of Coinbase? Engineering, right? It's, it's yeah. the product and the engineering that we're building. It's like half of our company. So you see, that's the case. I think that's the case. And that's why when I'm talking to so many of the projects in the space it hasn't got the other side yet as the main pillar and the other side will be what the adoption is not not for coinbase because you, you guys fundamentally are supposed to be a secure exchange in in essence of course technology is right at the top but i think the makeup of many others is also technical and really when you want adoption on the retail side that needs to change um Okay. All right. So Daniel, let's go into the mana round. So just to preset this for anybody who doesn't know in the audience, mana is your magic and your superpower. So we're going to try and find out what yours is. To start with, if you could have a massive front page of a publication of your choice, whatever you really love, what's really dear to you, I don't know what that is. The Economist, Wired, what's your favorite go-to publication? 
Yeah, yeah, I think you named them, right? Like Financial Times or Economist. I think one of these, yeah. Right, let's go with The Economist because that comes out only once a week. And you've got the front page. What would you put on it? Wow, yeah. Th 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 that would be amazing to have the front page of The Economist. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would say maybe like other people find better language, right? Web3 is the future, a special report. And it would be all about Web3 and, and what's being built at the moment. What And and by this, in business, what keeps you up at night? There is a lot of changing environments. We touched on that earlier on today in that, I think, especially ex when I say, but when I say externally, there's so many factors, right? Like, Technologies are involving, consumer preferences are involving, regulations, laws and regulations are evolving, and they're evolving in different ways in different regions, right? And so making sure that the company evolves with these things and keeps on going forward and keeps on always, all, better even being one step ahead of it, um, that, that's what keeps me up at night. In the preamble, Jeff Bezos would say, is puttering around in the morning. You know, you have a lot of responsibilities. How do you set yourself up for a successful morning, a successful start to the day in business? I, I wish the answer was I'm, I'm running a marathon and then I'm doing 100 <laughs> push-ups and so forth. But, but the reality is we've got small children, so there's not much of that at the moment. No, I think the way... So once this actually goes back to McKinsey, so it's traded McKinsey wisdom that... They were always saying, you, you want to look ahead a year, half a year, a month, a week, and a day. And so going through that cycle every morning and making sure, do I know what's coming on the agenda next week? And is everything in place to prepare for that? And do I know what's coming today or maybe at the end of this week? And do I have everything in place for that? What, what are the things I need to turn my attention to? That's what really is important for me in the morning. I have a five-year-old daughter and she's just gone to... Uh, what, what what we would call reception in school and it's really thrown my my morning into disarray because it's different time it's a different area it's challenging hey but this is the reality is not many people are sat on a an island with no distractions and able to go run their triathlon to go prep for their day so it's, it's more interesting to hear real situations how do you like just to understand it how do you manage that morning because i know what kids can be like super early like you want to as a parent be present but on the same note you have a load of stuff to get to work how do you set that up so that you you're not stressed you're doing the right thing with the family what is the morning routine yeah, so we're fortunate. It's, it's very fortunate in that sense. If you're in Europe and you work with a San Francisco tech company, the whole company comes like the European parts will be up early, but they'll adapt a little bit to the rhythm of San Francisco. And because San Francisco is nine hours behind us, it means that many of the meetings will only start later in the day, but they'll, then they'll go on longer in the day. That's like how it works. So the way I try to organize myself or like we organize the family is that we really use this morning time with the children getting up and, and breakfast and all these things, right? And, and dropping them. And that's the protected space, if you will. But then I work very long and late hours. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love it when I'm in Europe. And let's say the core of Mana is in the UK because you're just like one or two hours ahead. 
And so you get even more of that morning space to prepare yourself into it. So you've got that in the extreme. That's brilliant. I'm working with America quite a lot nowadays. And so in that evening session, once I've put Lily to bed at 8 p.m. or whatever it is, it's go again. But I don't mind it because I, I really enjoy the people that I'm talking to and just end up spending like another couple of hours talking to people. But by that point, I'm not stressed. Whereas in that morning, you've got to get a child to school, like work's kicking off. It's quite challenging, isn't it? Particularly if you're in a remote situation and kids are running around. But I un I understand. Is there a particular ritual or mantra or a passage of something that you come back to that really is important to you, that gives you strength, some type of affirmation, like some type of North Star for you from a from a your perspective? I, 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 th I think I was reacting a lot when you said ritual. Like my little ritual would be listening to the financial times podcast so they have a, i don't know five minute or 10 minute briefing or whatever every, that they publish every morning when i bike to work and this is great i do this every single day that's amazing yeah that's great and on, is there anything with the career ambition side that you it could be uh, a particular book that you go back to once every year or two or there might be this quote and, and if there's not by the way no, no worries but just curious if you have one Yeah, there is. Yeah, interesting. The one thing that really stuck with me uh, was a story by Dominic Barton. So he used to be like, I, again, I, I mentioned earlier that I, I did part of my career at McKinsey. And um, he used to be the, you know, what they call like the global managing director, right? So he's the figurehead for the entire firm globally, a long time ago. And we once met him and then he was explaining to or telling to us for, that for him, leadership is resilience. And in, in the sense that, you know, I think his story was he didn't get elected partner the first time around. He didn't get elected the second time around. He didn't get elected the third time around. Or let's say the third time it worked or whatever. And then in the end, he became global managing director, right? And I, I think that inspired me a lot. And that sort of informed a lot of how I think about careers. I think it's exactly like you said, Lloyd, earlier, right? Careers, they always look, when you look backwards, they always look like, super straight right okay so the ultimate question we're going to find out what your mana is the the superpower that you have in gaming you have your power your life whether you're you know gonna die basically and when and then you have your mana whether you can jump really high sprint really fast you've got super sword skills so daniel what is your mana I don't know if people is going to see it like this, right? But that's the way I think about it. I'm a super detail-oriented guy. But at the same time, I'm also like available, like able to zoom out from time to time and sort of make sure that I see the 10,000-foot view. And so this, I think in an industry, like particularly if you, previously when I was working in financial services, being detail-oriented is really helpful, right? <laughs> so it makes you like double-check all the numbers that they tie in and it makes you that, that everything works well in whatever messages you're sending or presentations you're giving. Um, so I would say that is my superpower. What goes alongside that? I want to... So that's on your mana card. That's your main one. You've got like nine and a half out of ten. Someone gets the card and yes, I've got amazing attention to detail. But we also know that you clearly have got resilience. And really, for somebody's full mana card, you need a few things. I think, by the way, 60% of the leaders who've come on the show 
when I asked them what their mana is, say resilience. <laughs> and so if you took all, if you took, if probably if you took the whole population of everywhere, 60% is resilience. It's tough. It's tough out there. And this is all very different people with different levels and trajectories in their career. So it only gets super interesting when you get people's other mana. So we've got attention to detail. We've got resilience. If you know your team or anybody who knew you really also commented, what do you think is another one? Just so we get one more. Yeah, I, I think, and again, then, then I would say what I was calling out earlier in the podcast is like, you know, that I'm always like very open to new things, like super interested to learn and super interested to understand. So I'm not usually a guy that is jumping to conclusions immediately, but rather trying to understand all the perspectives, trying to understand the pros and the cons and, and why are we doing it this way or not another way. And, 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 and really like listening. Yeah. Okay. All right. I love it. I bet you that makes you a leader with a lot of empathy as well which is really important. So we've got curiosity, open-minded, resilient, and then, you know, zooming out, seeing the broad picture, but being able to go in and check the detail. It's a great card. We'll make them up for you. I love it. Okay. So just to finish, we've taken a lot of your precious time, Daniel. It's been super interesting. Really, the final section is for you to talk about anything that you'd like to at all. We have a paper I believe that uh, is coming out this week we're with the start of q4 beginning of october 2023 and there's a paper that um, i don't know if you can broadly touch upon the ambitions of it uh, but that might be a nice way for us to just uh, conclude the show I, I i guess the one that you're referencing is we just saw was just over the weekend published the, the piece by the policy exchange uh, in which they were speaking about how the possibilities or the opportunities from web3 technologies and how in the united states uh, at the moment there's a harsh wind blowing really driving u.s firms across the atlantic and that there's like increasingly red tape and, and a complicated regulatory environment for companies in the united states I think one of the numbers that they quoted was like that uh, even 12% of uh, US crypto hedge funds are considering relocating. So, so leaving the United States, yeah. right? Um, and that the UK as a global fintech hub, and if we bear in mind that 77 billion pound have already been invested globally in blockchain startups, that there's a conservative estimate, and I think I touched on this when we opened up the podcast, that something like 10 billion pounds in revenue could be up for grabs over the next years. And if we sort of con convert that for the UK, it could be 36,000 jobs, right? That's a ton of jobs that could be created from- Web3 What, what time frame was that? You said years, so like a few years. Yeah, exactly, over the few yeah. years. Okay, exactly. And, and the, the UK has made that really clear. Um, the prime minister made Web3 one of his policy goals. And I think at the time when he was chancellor, he was saying that he wanted the UK to become a global hub for crypto asset technology. I, I think those were the words used. Bringing jobs to the UK. And since then, I believe, and, and, and you know this and I know, it's like a ma num number of major US firms have set up offices in London and in the UK, right? So I think this is really, it's a development that is taking place right before our eyes. 
Now what we need is we need, of course, the FCA and other regulatory authorities to follow through. New concepts such as we talked about digital wallets, stable coins, and so forth may sound unfamiliar to consumers now, but they could become, with the right regulatory approach, as familiar and well-used as banking apps and social media to us in the future. Yeah, thanks, Daniel. We'll put in the um, show note the, the report because... The podcast covers global topics, but of course, I and part of Mana is based in the UK and a lot of our business is here. So it's really encouraging to have seen this commitment to this brilliant space. And that will be really super interesting to look at what determinations have come out of that paper and debate them and hopefully see some of them come through. Um, just, just to finish then, more broadly, what are you hoping the Hollywood outcome for you and Coinbase is and you can really push that time frame out to the visualization I'm sure you and the guys have got for why are you doing all of this and again the legal answer would be very broad and impossible to go across the whole thing but if you want to go to something that's really exciting for you what that Hollywood vision is at Coinbase yeah, we call it, so, and this is going to be like the follow-on from what we just called Web3. The, the way we talk about it inside Coinbase at the moment is on-chain is the new online. So I think the exciting Hollywood vision is really for the whole world to move on-chain. And that's going to open up so many new possibilities because you will have basically payment method, payment systems right built into the software itself. And that just creates... And, and it's not only payments, by the way, like payments is perhaps one of the most easiest or easiest to identify ones, but even think about like identification services or data sovereignty. I think that's a topic that traditionally has kept us very much awake at night in Europe, right? Data sovereignty is a really important topic here in Europe. And, and all these things, they become possible with Web3 technology. Yeah, so exciting. What never ceases to blow my mind is how large the payment space is. It is just absolute Goliath. It's crazy. And the whole of my career, it's been getting disrupted. But I do think, and I don't think it's probably the right phrasing to say that it's the easy thing. I'm sure you'd agree. But it is the obvious thing that the ledger and blockchain should be the rails for and that turn of phrase that you say i think is what would be the hollywood situation that and i don't want to get it wrong so if you could say it again but that the the internet is on chain how did you put that oh as on chain is the new online on chain is the new online i love that that's amazing like is there any coinbase merch with that on it because if not let's do it <laughs> and I, I want that that's so cool. That's a really great way to sum it up. That's really snappy. And I absolutely, I think that happens. And we're going to have had such an exciting part in this monumental shift in technology. Daniel, thank you so much for coming on the show. Absolute pleasure. Really insightful. And I'm really excited to see what comes next. Pleasure. Thank you, Lloyd. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Future of Work podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it please leave a like and a review and subscribe to our iTunes channel to stay up to date with the newest content. Find us on social media at Searching for Mana. 
tell us who you want next on the show. Thanks again and see you next time.